I see it actually quite frequently among like random teammates. Yeah, I've had people before drinking their teas in the morning, like, I don't have a coffee, and they're like, nah. Been off coffee for three weeks. I'm not having it till I race, and I'm like, what, what, what for? And they're like, oh, yeah, it has a better effect, so you can feel it more. I'm like, well, like the feeling of the coffee isn't isn't the effect. Hello, and welcome to the Long Munch, the nutrition podcast for runners, cyclists, and triathletes. My name is Steph Gaskell. I'm an accredited sports dietitian, a researcher, and do a bit of lecturing at sport, uh, in sports nutrition at Monash Uni in Melbourne. And I'm joined by my colleague and fellow sports dietitian, lecturer and researcher. And now I actually call him, I've got a new name for him, and it's Dr. Al, Dr. Alan McCubbin. How are you, Alan? I'm all right, Steph. Yeah, all right. Enjoying this nicer weather we're having at the moment. Um, it is heading nice. Heading into spring. It's been beautiful. And uh, yeah, well, with lockdown, you've got to take the kids out for their exercise. So you get to enjoy it a bit more rather than being stuck in an office at work. Yeah. So it's one of the few benefits of lockdown, I suppose. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You can really tell that spring is here, can't you? Yeah, absolutely. But that said, next week it'll probably be raining in 14 degrees and reminding <laughs> us that it's not quite here. Not it's quite here. <laughs> Don't Always happens in Melbourne. Every year you think, oh, spring's here, and then it goes back to winter for a couple of weeks. But anyway. Yeah, yeah. And uh, have I seen you in the lab? Yeah, yeah. I've been in there for a few bits and pieces. Um, not, not sports nutrition related stuff, but I don't know you have been. Um, yep. So we've had approval to continue on with some of the sports nutrition studies, which is great. And I yes. know you're moving ahead with your PhD studies, which is good. Yeah, yeah. Like writing up for thesis time is getting closer, Alan. I'm, I'm quietly getting dum, a bit dum, nervous. Dum, dum, dum. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, I'll probably call on call on you, the whiz, uh, to probably help me out down the track with something about graphs or figures. Uh, you're always (laughs) you're always great at that Um, and what about teaching are you still you teaching a few things and all that's online at the moment yeah yeah of course yeah everything's online Uh, the university's running everything online I think they're they're pretty much saying that lectures will remain online forever now Um, oh wow so I don't know what that means for the future of the old lecture theatres at the university they'll probably eventually get torn down and built into tutorial rooms I think the idea is that half the students just listen to the recordings and don't come to the lectures these days anyway. So um, I think the idea is that they'll all just continue to be done online Um, and then much more emphasis on sort of hands-on learning tutorials and Mm. workshops and experiential type stuff Mm. on campus. Um, So it's not to say that, that, you know, the students won't be on campus anymore. I think it's just going to be different in the way it's done uh, Mm. and then the methods used for teaching as as we move into the the modern age. Yeah. And how about you? How's the uh, the house moving going? Well, it hasn't. I haven't started it, and I think that's what I'm also freaking out about because we've, <laughs> yeah, good old Cato here um, is most excited about us. Um, I think the thing that's made it for Kate, I've worked out, just what makes her happy is if you've got a garage, she's happy because she's going to turn that into a home gym. 
And yep. apparently I'm not going to really see her in the house because she's going to live in the gym. So. <laughs> and are you closer to trails for running? Yes. Yes. This Excellent. is a big thing. That's what thing. you want. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, we love running down um, Chelsworth Park. Um, so we're literally like a K, a K from there. Um, nice. So, yeah. Yeah. Perfect spot for doing that and for mountain bike riding and all sorts of things. Yeah, you know Excellent. the other sport I thought I could get into? So you're off bouldering now? <laughs> well, I can't bloody boulder, can I? Although I've been thinking that I might put in a, like a climbing wall in the garage. Yep. The next sport, Alan. Can you guess it? Uh, well, you've had a go at skateboarding. I'm guessing is the skateboard being relegated to helping you move like stuff out to the removalist truck <laughs> good idea we, we haven't gone that far but yeah yeah yep. maybe i'll do that so yep. um so it's not skateboarding no. it's not sport climbing which were the two new olympic sports weren't they they were yeah so well, i'm just trying one. to think what's uh or karate was the other one so you're having a go at karate no not karate not yet no not yet i'm just trying to think what they're introducing for for paris i'm not actually sure what's new for paris <laughs> well, this one hasn't made it into the games yet, but um, I don't know if you've seen, have you seen the elliptigos? So, As in like those elliptical trainers? Yeah, yeah, no, but they're, they, they're outdoors. There's outdoor ones. And so they're like basically kind of like a cross trainer, but you, you use them outside. So you've got to really use your core and mm. you're just like, and it, it's so you're made. So you just do it in your backyard. No, no, I'm going to be using the elliptico, like going down the streets and in oh, it the actually trail. moves. It's not a stationary Yeah, mode. it moves. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know. I didn't know these. Oh, hence the go bit on the end. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. So um, I might look a bit unusual doing that, but... Um, I was going to say, is this like the 80s reinventing itself? <laughs> <laughs> might, yeah. might wear some cool clothes and... <laughs> yeah, big hair and... <laughs> they're not cheap though they're not cheap they're like i was i was looking at one and it's about two grand and then um anyway i inquired and the guy's like no no you should get this one and of course guess how much it is it's like five grand so yeah don't worry i'm not i'm not getting i'm i'm not yeah i was gonna say you can get a lot of other things for five grand i know i need to save money so anyway yeah. that's a sidetrack i'm going well been in the lab still need a recruit two more females please help me out um uh and alan's is five hours mine is only one two and three hours but yes and i, I need more help because i have more people i need to recruit exactly all right that's good we are here to answer all of your um common questions that you you guys might ask each other when you're out in a training session or at a cafe um so please shoot them through to us we're on all your popular um social media platforms so twitter facebook and instagram at the long munch and you can listen to us on all your popular um podcast platforms uh, but without further ado, we are into episode, Alan, I'm terrible at remembering the episodes. It's 20B, is it? Yep. Yep. 20B. And I know we're talking about coffee. So what, what's on? 
Yeah, so this is a continuation of last week's episode. To, uh, the question was, do I need to stop drinking coffee to get the benefits of caffeine? So we obviously had a great chat with uh, Dr. Chris Irwin from Griffith University last week, uh, and he sort of gave us the lowdown on that from a scientific perspective. Uh, and today we're going to talk to an athlete who I guess has to put that into practice and get his take on the, uh, the withdrawal side of things, to withdraw or not to withdraw. Uh, we obviously talked about the pros and cons of that um, in our episode last week with Chris. So our guest this week is paracyclist Alistair Donahoe. Awesome. Um, looking forward to, to this one. And just before we introduce him, I should say that um, we've had a new five-star rating on um, Apple Podcast. And we also had someone that thought our rant uh, got a bit better. It was yours, Alan. Um, so we had the lovely Kate Galash, who's a dietitian and sports dietitian back in South Australia, my hometown. Um, so she enjoyed your rant. So good job. Um, I've got to lift my game for the next one. So watch out. Mm-hmm. Well. <laughs> We, we were ranting about caffeine and energy drinks last time, so maybe you need some some energy drinks to get you in the zone for your rant. I reckon I could do a good rant next week, actually, on the topic we'll do. So yeah, we'll talk yeah, about watch it at the out. end. Oh, I was just thinking that before that you'll you'll have have something to rant about, no doubt. <laughs> and um, we had um, goes by the name on Instagram, Shandy Man Runs. Um, and he said a two, he's a two to four coffee per day guy, tried to stop one week from a goal race and after 48 hours, the headaches were too much and ended up having one per day. Headache, headache was gone within 10 minutes after the first cup. So um, I'm pretty sure he probably really enjoyed listening to Chris's response. Um, and I'm sure he'll enjoy listening to what Alastair has to say and, and probably about Alastair's experience um, as well when he withdraws it and or if he overdoes it too. Mm, yeah, and that fits exactly with what you know Chris said last week about the fact that you know um, those studies that have done a short-term withdrawal period of only a few days, uh, you do tend to see a benefit, but it's essentially only bringing them back to baseline. In other words... Um, withdrawing the reintroduction stops you going worse rather than making you better whereas the withdrawal and and non-reintroduction makes you go worse because you're so miserable from the caffeine withdrawal Mm, yeah yeah Um, and potentially he was suggesting maybe if you do it for a longer period of time wasn't he which you know again yeah we need further research in that but I mean who really wants to do that research and go without coffee for that long (laughs) Exactly right. And uh, everyone who listened to the intro of this podcast would have heard our guest, Alistair, mentioning that, that he's spoken to some other athletes who've gone down that path. But um, Scary yeah. stuff. <laughs> That's one way of putting it. <laughs> All right. I'll, um, shall we introduce Alistair? I'll let you do the, the intro. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, so as I said before, Alistair Donahoe is a paracyclist um, and obviously with the Paralympics just winding up last week, uh, it was great to have a chat to him and um, kind of just uncanny timing, really. I mean, we'd always sort of circled his name against this topic for the podcast and it just happened that this topic came up at the time of the Paralympics. It wasn't really 
planned or anything like that. Um, but both you and I, Steph, have worked with Al at various stages in the past. He used to, to ride with a, a trade team that I used to work with, a cycling team. Uh, and then I think he worked with you a bit later on after he'd, he'd moved on to another team. Um, but uh, yeah, he sort of moved into paracycling, uh, I think about 2014 off the top of my head. Um, I think he's won three uh, road race world championships in the C5 category. Uh, he's won the time trial once, I think. Um, and won the scratch race on the track as well. So he races both track and road um, in, in paracycling. He's uh, now a two-time Paralympian. Uh, he raced in, in Rio in 2016. Um, got a couple of silver medals there. And then, uh, again, just completed in Tokyo and got a silver and a, a bronze there as well. So um, it was great to see him in, in Tokyo, um, or in Izu, really, out of Tokyo, where the, all the cycling events were held for both um, the Olympics and Paralympics. Um, and I, I guess the, probably the biggest, uh, if anyone knows Al, they probably know him for the mullet. Um, mm -hmm. That was really the thing of the, the Tokyo Games. Yeah. And I saw a great post on social media of um, Kurt Fernley and Joe Griggs in the Channel 7 studios <laughs> with matching <laughs> mullet wigs on. Yep. celebrate Al's, Al's achievements. That so that was, was really so great to see. Yeah. 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 So, um, no, it's fantastic to see him. Um, and as you'll hear in this interview, we actually interviewed him from his hotel in Izu um, when he was there for the Paralympics. We sort of said to him, well, do you want to chat to us now or, or wait till after the Games? He's like, no, I'll chat to you now. And so we said, okay, we'll, we'll hook up this particular night to, to do the recording. It was a couple of weeks ago now. And um, he's like, yeah, yeah, that's cool, that night. And then we sat down, started recording. I got about 30 seconds in, and I'm like, hang on, isn't the opening ceremony on right now? And he's like, yeah, it's on the TV just there. So he's given up watching the opening ceremony of the Paralympics where he's competing to chat to us. So uh, I think that's dedication. That's dedication, and um, hopefully we've got it in there. What he what he actually said that he yeah mm. I won't I won't give it away, but yeah we were um, stoked. Yeah, absolutely mm. for sure. So yeah, a lot of fun chatting to Al. He's a, a big coffee lover, so mm. that's sort of why we both had him circled early <laughs> on as a as a uh, suitable guest for this particular episode. Um, but also, you know, he's he's very into you know getting everything out of his sports nutrition, planning it really carefully, and that includes the use of caffeine around competition as well. So he's both a day-to-day -day coffee lover, mm. but also someone who specifically plans caffeine around his, his race performances and, and, and key training sessions as well. So mm. um, that's the sort of stuff that we thought we'd have a great chat with him about um, and get some insights into how he does that and how he looks at that kind of withdrawal issue as well. Yeah, yeah. Awesome, shall we get stuck into it? Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. Let's do it. Alistair Donahoe, welcome to the Long Munch podcast. Firstly, do you want to start off by telling us where are you right now? Uh, yeah, hey, Alan and Steph. Thanks for having me uh, on here. Um, I, I listened to your very first episode, so I feel like Ooh. I'm here from the start. Thank <laughs> you. Um, yeah, right now I am uh, in Japan, not in Tokyo itself, in Izu, but... Um, yeah, here for the uh, Paralympic Games. Yep, and we realised um, we were a bit rude and we actually crashed the opening ceremony because it's right on the TV next to you at the moment. You're watching the opening ceremony while you're talking to us, <laughs> the opening ceremony of the Paralympics. So sorry about that. We probably should have uh, figured out our timing a bit better, but um, 
Hopefully you can watch that and, and talk to us at the same time. Well, he wanted to be even more surrounded by Aussies, Alan, you know? It's like yep. celebrate it with us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so just to, to start off with, I guess, Al, um, you know, you've, you've um, done you know, quite a lot of cycling over a number of years now. You've, you know, you've won stages at the, in the Australian National Road Series. You've ridden um, with the Australian Under-23 national team. You've podiumed at the Road Nationals uh, in Under-23s a few years back. Um, but obviously you're competing in paracycling. You've done um, you know, the Rio Paralympics as well. How did you get involved with the, the paracycling side of things? Uh, yeah, like very um, coincidentally, um, yeah, like I had my accident in 2015, but I was already, no, sorry, not 2015, um, in 2009, I was 15 at the time, uh, but I was already cycling at Shaft, and mm-hmm. um, so as soon as I could ride again, I just continued to race. Uh, it, I think I was training with the Victorian team for like, you know, an under-19 nationals at the, at the time. Um, and I kind of became friends with Michael Gallagher, who was, who was a para, and he was at our training sessions. And um, one time he just said, oh, your arm looks kind of funny. Um, I reckon you, you could like probably get into para, like you could race my category, because he also had like a, just a, a bung right arm. Um, that's probably the, the correct way to say it. Um, yeah, and so I think like maybe even a year later, they had um, like, I think it was the under 19 Omnium Championships were on at the same time as the para national championships so mm-hmm. with paracycling you have to get classified um so i got like introduced to the head coach and then it was all a bit like oh yeah blase and then they took me to the physio and i got classified and they were like oh actually you scrape in like just but you scrape into our like c5 which is the kind of highest ranked category um and then suddenly it was like oh this is exciting because they were like they were seeing me race quite competitively as an under-19 and then saw that I was like, well, like perfect for paracycling because there's five categories um, and I guess it is, it's great if you can be at the higher end of your category because there's going to be discrepancies kind of no matter what with injuries. So yep. they were like, oh, this is like, this is the bee's knees. Um, so then <laughs> quite quickly got taken to a, uh, yeah, a world championships later that year um, where I had to get internationally classified first. Before you can do any competition um and yeah uh, again scraped in, in like was was fine internationally and um and then that was it suddenly like late i think it was late 2013 was my first world championships and then it's just been um trips ever since that became like the rio the rio games was suddenly the target and then straight after that was the looking at, at tokyo and here here we are five years later well actually yeah. now it's it's basically been like seven years of paracycling yeah Awesome, and I remember because you were you were riding with a, a national road series team that I was working with at the time, um, Search to Retain, and I've actually got somewhere in my cupboard a rainbow jersey that you've signed <laughs> from when you won your first world champs. I think the uh, the owner of the team got a whole bunch of them made up and uh, hand them out to sponsors and various people. So I've got one somewhere. I've always managed wanted to get it framed and put up behind me there and never go around to it. So I'll have to get that done one day. Um, but as you said, you know, you're obviously in Japan at the moment for the Paralympics. Um, what events are on the schedule for you? Uh, yep. So first up, um, I've got the four kilometre individual pursuit, which for me starts on um, Friday the 27th. And so yeah, three, for me now, three days away. Um, and then on the 31st of 
August. I've got the road time trial, so 31 kilometers long, I think. And then um, Friday the 3rd of September yeah, is Yeah, that's right, the, 3rd September. Yep, yep, yep. Is the road race, which is, I think, 95 kilometers long. So, like, my events are pretty spaced out, which is nice, but also at the same time, I'd love to just get them done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fair enough. And do you guys do the same or, or similar course for the um, like the time trial and the road race that they use for the Olympics? Like, is it on the the mm. motor racing circuit there at Fuji? Yeah, yeah, it is on the the Fuji Raceway. Um, the time trial is kind of the opposite direction, so that's really the biggest difference. Is that they hit headed one way on pit straight, we had the other, um, and they had two laps for their. 30 or 40k time trial and we've got four laps of a shorter circuit um mm -hmm. and that's just just to make it like for all the categories like some people mm -hmm. only do two yes. some people do three laps and then yeah i unfortunately have to do four so they just like yep. alter the circuit so they can make it more adaptable um and then the road race uh is also similar to that in the sense that we ride we race mostly around the raceway so like one lap is a lap of the raceway out into like the surrounding towns and back in and i think I end up doing like seven or eight laps of that course because again all the categories are different distances um so being like a far shorter race than the elite men's it's a um, different course but the same finish yeah and because you've got like hand cycling categories and things too don't you so obviously the terrain that suits those types of mm -hmm. bikes would be quite different i imagine yeah absolutely they don't, don't love climbing um it's still really a really lumpy course i think pit straight's the only flat section of the whole course so it's going to be incredibly tough, but it just doesn't have those really long, really tough climbs that the um, the elites had to do. Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, and so you've got like both the the track and the road events, both time trial and, and the road race. Is there one in particular that you've sort of got your your red marker out and circled and going, that's the one I, I'm aiming for? Oh, I've actually just really circled a week. Um, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's hard because, I mean, like you, you have to have, your eyes set on um, on the, f the first event. So the, tr the track, especially, you know, Cycling Australia, they love to um, to focus on the track because obviously yep. there's far less variables involved. Um, it's, you know, you can, you can, you know the parameters, you know what's involved um, and you can pretty train for it pretty easily. Um, but then personally, I love the road race. So you got the extremes. So um, yeah, my coach has trained me for the, for the, track and the road time trial and then the road race kind of just is what it is that's kind of a lot more up to me but um yeah like i said i don't know if there's any race in particular i want to win more i just want to win so right yep. now it's the yep. pursuit i'm not thinking about anything else yeah no fair enough fair enough um and as we said you know you've already won you know multiple world championships um you've got a couple of silver medals uh from rio as well um what would you say is sort of your, your highlights so far from your career? Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not really sure. Like it's, it's spans like such a, well, it feels like it spans such a long time. Um, and there's different, different points, um, that different wins mean more than the previous ones. And yeah, I think the wins that come unexpectedly or the ones that you feel like you've worked the hardest for, it's not anything else in particular. Like I, I know that like, you know, the first time I raced under 23 national championships and got third there, um, that was a massive highlight because, you know, that was the first time that I realized that I was actually a competitive Australian cyclist. And then when I got to race under 23 world championships in the USA, 
that was like amazing highlight because I'd been to a para world championships the same year. Um, yep. and then, yeah, I was the first, I think I was the first paracyclist to do both able-bodied and, um, para world championships. So that, that was amazing. Um, I wouldn't say Rio's silver medals, although they're just like, they're kind of the most prestigious, but they're definitely not the highlight because I wanted gold. So I kind of just brushed them. Um, yep. but yeah. And then, and then even coming back from, um, you know, injury and winning like a world championship after two years of not, um, yeah, that's pretty special at the same time. So yeah, there's, there's plenty and it's really hard to pick one individually out. Yep. Fair enough. And hopefully by the time everyone listens to this, which will be in a couple of weeks from when we've recorded it, there'll be a new one to add to that list as well. Or, or more <laughs> than one. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah, three, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so, so let's start with one. Um, awesome, cool. Um, so I guess going a bit now into our, our question, our topic, which is do I need to stop drinking coffee to get the benefits of caffeine? Um, and Alan and I know that you do enjoy perhaps a coffee or two, so so we'll get we'll get stuck into that. Um, so we heard last week about the the sort of the benefits of caffeine for endurance athletes and recommendations around these. But today we're going to focus on how that translates into event preparation for the athletes. So, firstly. Is caffeine in general, or coffee specifically, something that you enjoy on a day-to-day basis? And how does it fit into your daily routine? Are you a one-times-a-day coffee drinker or you kind of lose count? Um, yeah, it, it definitely varies. I, I wake up um, and pretty much what pulls me out of bed is like the, the thought of having a coffee, especially... I mean, here in Japan, the sun rises like super early, so I'm I'm awake before breakfast time, um, and I, I sit there and think like, can I be bothered going down and getting a coffee? Like I want to, but I also want to stay in bed. Um, so I can't remember the last time I didn't have a coffee in the morning. Um, what What's the coffee quality like there? Yeah. By the way? Oh yeah. Okay. It's not like um, it's not anything to write home about, but it's also not terrible. I'm drinking the kind of like American style pot of coffee. Um, they always like have one in the uh, in our kitchen room on the go. And that's perfect because I kind of drink that style probably a little bit nicer when I make it, but I drink that style at home. Um, so it's what I'm used to, but like we've brought Nespresso machines like with the pods with us. Um, if we, if we I was going to say you didn't, you didn't get the barista like they did back in Tokyo in the apartment block there. Yeah, no, I mean, imagine that. Wouldn't that be great? I brought my own coffee, um, but we don't have kettles in our room, so it's kind of like, yeah, useless, yeah. useless to me. Um, but also, you know, having a pot I can pour from any time of the day is uh, dangerous and great. So it's probably good that I have to walk downstairs to get it. Otherwise, um, I would be that sort of lose count that you were talking about. So, yeah, to answer your question, um, I'm not like a this many coffees a day. I'm more of a time limit sort of person. That's kind of how I operate. Um, yeah, and like at home, I, I make about a litre of coffee at a time in my machine. Um, and depending on if I give it to my housemates or if, if they're all gone and I'm the one left to drink it, um, I basically just drink until I'm walking out the door and then I just leave yeah. whatever's there and tip down the sink. Mm. And, and being from, from Melbourne and sort of right in that sort of inner northern suburbs, 
you know, where there's real coffee culture, and now you're up in Queensland. How do you find that? Um, yeah, like you kind of have to really try hard. Well, last year when I was on the Sunshine Coast, not to yeah, not to be a snob, but like you can get like in Australia, you can get a decent coffee anywhere. Yeah. But if you really want to kind of like hone in, um, you have to you know search a bit. That was on the Sunshine Coast. I'd have to travel. Um, and there were some great places up there. And now I'm in um, Brisbane. There's like a lot more opportunity, and there's some really good places. Um, near me but then also I've like I've got as you'd imagine a pretty good setup at home so I um, I don't have to leave the house if I want the coffee that I want it and drink yeah cool um, and so do you plan your coffee around training specifically so do you feel that there's a sort of a specific benefit to be had from having coffee or caffeine sorry around your training on a kind of on that day-to-day basis yeah I, I definitely do I mean not always like you know sometimes I drink for pleasure and um you know on endurance days um I don't really consider the caffeine that I'm absorbing I just drink yeah to to satisfaction but then today for example I had a two-hour easy ride in the morning and then a track session um that started at 5 p.m so I kind of just had like one to two coffees before I went training had none you know, once I'd finished 11 o'clock or lunch and then poured myself a cup of coffee um, at like three o'clock before I was walking out the door and tried to tried to delay drinking that until I was like at the velodrome. So I was probably like smashing my coffee at around four o'clock and just knowing that, yeah, trying to time it so that I actually get the benefits of what I'm drinking. Um, and like, especially around afternoon sessions, which I don't love doing because I, you know, like most people get a bit of an afternoon slump. Mm. I'm looking for that kind of pick me up. Um, but yeah, I do. I do definitely look at the uh, the actual effects of caffeine, um, especially if it's a hard day training. Mm. Yeah. And do you? Is it more so um, you're getting the caffeine from coffee, or are you getting the coffee from you know something else in terms of whether it be gels or or, um, you know, or no-dos or something like that is, do you do anything different in training or is it only possibly in competition where you might change that? No, that's spot on as well. I mean, in, um, yeah, I only talked about, you know, easy days really. Um, But, yeah, in days that I have specific, like, really hard sessions or really hard intervals that I want, like, yeah, to to nail, um, I definitely take a more targeted approach. So, yeah, I smash no dose like going out of fashion for training. I used to um, hit hit caffeine gels pretty hard as well because obviously they're like quite easy to knock over. But I think, yeah, I find no dose just like very purposeful and um, you can time them quite well. So mm. usually like if I have a long set of efforts, I might try have my no dose, you know, around 45 minutes beforehand. Um, mm-hmm. Even a lot of my track sessions started about 1 or 2 p.m. in the afternoon. They're never really in the morning. So... I'll, I'll arrive at track and, and um, just before we start the warm-up, I'll have a notice so that I can kind of try time that that's, I guess, what I would consider peaking in my system um, when I'm actually doing the proper efforts, not, not yeah, not really, really energised for my warm-up. Um, yeah, and so no-dose for me are really simple because also I feel in Brisbane's heat, I often feel quite dehydrated and 
need to go to the toilet so frequently when I'm um, drinking a lot of coffee. And it's also super hard to gauge how much caffeine you're actually taking in. So sometimes I'm mm. like, oh, this coffee's not much. I need to have more. And then I'll have the jitters. Um, so at least when I like smashing odos, it's just like, right, 100 milligrams. That's good. Yeah, that's good for training. If it's um, if it's first thing in the morning, I might be taking 200. But yeah, I definitely kind of play with it. Um, but yeah, around around hard sessions, I take a more kind of like caffeine supplement approach rather than just coffee. Yeah. Mm. And our last episode, we, we spoke to Chris Irwin um, from Griffith Uni and, and they did some research a few years ago, actually, where they went around to a whole bunch of coffee shops on the Gold Coast and sampled the coffees and measured the caffeine content. And exactly what you said, like it varied like a cup of coffee, anything from like 50 milligrams to 250 milligrams, depending on where you bought your coffee from. So, um, yeah, it can be pretty hit and miss if you if you, you know, just buying coffee to, to get the caffeine. You don't really know what you're getting, as you said. Mm, yeah yeah you don't know how long it's I don't know that it's sitting in there the beans like how much is being used yeah so um yeah I think that approach in terms of specifically like you said if it's a real hard session or it's a a focus you know it's competition where you you don't want to be guessing too much then yeah having that approach where you know exactly what you're getting um seems pretty smart to me um so, uh, okay, so we've kind of, yeah, talked about where you kind of, yeah, do use it for specific sessions where you deliberately are using the caffeine for its benefits. Um, so with the caffeine prior to, to those events, is there, like, have you been given guidance on how much caffeine perhaps to, to take? Um, you know, like, um, do, have you worked with someone in terms of saying, oh, hey, Alistair, how about we try this kind of amount for you? Um, yeah, one of my friends um, for a long time was a coach, Dr. Stephen Lane, and I think he did a lot of research into caffeine use. And I remember years ago he told me that anywhere between three and six milligrams was fine, um, yep. above six milligrams per, oh, sorry, I should say three to six milligrams per kilo of body weight. Um, so I basically just use that measure in my head. Um, so yeah, like if I can, if I can say oh, I'm 65 kilos, that yeah, what's that? Like about 190 to 200 milligrams. Yeah. And then, yeah, if I usually take like, yeah, if it's for a time trial, I might take two, two nodos and then possibly have a caffeine gel or like yep. it'll, it'll even leave a bit of wiggle room for like a coffee before yes. the race and then like two nodos for um, my like warm up and actual performance. Um, but it's such, it gives you such a big window that yeah, you don't, you don't worry that you're going to like overdo it. Like I don't think I'm ever really touching the six milligrams per kilo and, but that just gives me confidence that yes. yeah, I'm not going to overdose, but there's also no benefit. Like I don't sit there and go, I need to smash more. I don't have enough energy. Um, so yeah, that like that rough guideline, I usually will try just hit, um, 200 milligrams but then you take that into like my pursuits for example so on Friday I've got my qualifier in them at I think 11 30 in the morning and then if I make the final that's at 3 30 in the afternoon mm -hmm. so I'll double drop 200 milligrams before each of those races so I have a total mm -hmm. of 400 but it's yeah, a little bit more space. spaced out um, yeah and I think like I've practiced that before and I can tolerate that so it's okay. yeah yeah awesome um, have you ever had any negative 
experiences from taking caffeine or coffee that you're aware of? Yeah, definitely. I've had, like, yeah, I mean, I have a saying that if you don't have heart palpitations, you're not training. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, quite often, like, I'll have a few coffees in the morning. I'll get to track. I'll be like, oh, I'm pretty tired. I'm on the come down. I'll pop a no-dose or two. Um, and I'll just be like, oh, I really don't feel great. And, yeah, for me, like, I have a theory that it's just a, it's like kind of like alcohol. I have a like a coffee to food ratio that if you're not getting it right, um, it can really like you can you can in in brackets feel it, um, which is yeah I think like most people associate that overdoing caffeine with. But I oh, yeah I definitely remember one in particular racing in um, Malaysia two years ago for the Tour de Langkawi, um, and it was a very hot mountain stage Genting, um, and yep I, I was having coffees in the morning. Um, I think I made myself one or two, you know, you don't start racing until like 11, 12 o'clock. So you got plenty of downtime in the mornings. And then through that day, I think I had like a no dose to start the race and then a caffeine gel. And then I had this caffeine shot from the, uh, like supplement supplier that the team was using. Yep. And it might've been, it was, it was either hundred or 150 milligrams. And I remember taking it, um, before we hit, like we were kind of coming close to the base of this, um, like 1000 meter climb. Um, and just at the base of the climb, my heart rate was in like 170 and just wouldn't mm. wouldn't go down. And mm. I think it was a combination of it being incredibly hot and then just this accumulation. Um, mm-hmm. And I think afterwards I kind of sat sat back after that race and said, oh, actually, I had like 350 milligrams of, of you know, actual notable caffeine plus yep. coffees. And mm. I was like, I just didn't pay attention to what I was doing that day mm. and overdid it. Yeah. And kind of just went like, oh, I need to go hard here. I'll have some more caffeine. Mm. Um, and, yeah, not realising how close to my limit I was. And, um, yeah, all it was was just like a super elevated heart rate in the heat that mm. I just had to, like, I just had to kind of not stop racing, but I had to, like, not race for the win because I was just, like, overdoing it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's good to know. Like, like it's not great, obviously, for you. So sorry for the experience, but it's... um. <laughs> I guess good for the listeners to, to know that as well. Like it can be pretty easy to overdo, but um, also just that that time where um, you, you kind of do need to also try it for yourself as well and see how you do respond to the to the different doses as well, um, and just knowing what's in things as well. Like I know for myself when I first took no dose. Um, I don't know if I'd studied nutrition already or if I was just not listening in my nutrition class, but I just like took two no-dos and, you know, I don't think I was even drinking coffee back then, right? So I had the two no-dos, 200 milligrams. And at that time I was like a lightweight. I was in mid 40 kilos and uh, my heart rate (laughs) was beating really, really fast. So, um, yeah, it, it can very easily be you know, be overdone. And like you said, um, we don't need to do that. There's kind of this amount that we think is beneficial. Um, and yeah, it's just trying to consider, um, yeah, when do we need it? And also that we don't want to go too far because obviously like what unfortunately happens perhaps for you is the heart rate kind of raced up in an because of a number of reasons, obviously with your environmental conditions and, and racing. So yeah, um, but I guess in terms of just uh, looking at um, whether you've also approached 
withdrawing from caffeine in the days leading up to competition um, and yeah if you found any benefit in that because there's been some sort of talk and research and like we often Alan and I get athletes that ask us you know is it beneficial to withdraw I've heard from people that I should not have caffeine for one or two weeks and I'm like feeling really sorry for them at that time um, but what's what do you feel what do you do what have you tried yeah um no I think it's it's a, it's a great question because I see it actually quite frequently among yeah like random teammates um yeah I've had people before you know like drinking their teas in the morning I'm like I didn't have a coffee and they're like no nah, I've been off coffee for three weeks I'm not having it until I race and I'm like like what for and they're like oh yeah. like, so you know so you can you know, it has better effect, so you can feel it more. I'm like, well, like the feeling of the coffee isn't isn't the effect. Like when you have a coffee, and in that immediate, you know, like half an hour, you you have that like I don't know, that jittery feeling. Um, if you've got a low caffeine tolerance, like yeah. caffeine's not peaking for like sixty minutes if you take it orally. Like there's like what you feel is actually not like the the benefit that we're kind of searching for as I think endurance athlete. This is my understanding anyway. Um, yeah. You know, so like, yeah, it's it's also this funny thing like we we get given caffeine gum now, but I don't like it because it you take it ten minutes before you start because it has a really like a really immediate onset effect, but it actually makes me feel funny. Like it gives me the jitters for the same two hundred milligrams as taking a no dose or trying to consume it through gels. Now mm -hmm. I know it's the same amount of caffeine, but it has like a different feeling in my body it's not it's not operating differently it's just how i'm interpreting it and mm -hmm. so when i see athletes yeah abstaining from coffee i'm like well yeah like cool if it's a placebo effect for you and you mm -hmm. enjoy that that kind of like um that rush you get from having caffeine but i would say just have more <laughs> like you know if i have 300 milligrams of caffeine at once it's that's not over the detrimental effect for me but i'm gonna mm -hmm. i'm gonna feel that like i'm gonna be buzzing from 300 milligrams so yes I would, yeah, I would, that's kind of the approach I take, um, I think. Yep. Why would you, um, yeah. why would you put yourself through that for no actual uh, gain? I mean, I'd much rather have three calm weeks where I can enjoy coffee and then be in a better headspace to race rather than um, three Buddhist monk weeks and then have like <laughs> sh shaking hands on the start line. <laughs> anyway that's my that's my rant over <laughs> <laughs> no like I think you know and it makes sense as well in terms of yeah caffeine's a regular part of your lifestyle and your day um and then if you take it away then is that actually yeah having a negative impact on even just your quality of life I guess you know it's something you enjoy you look forward to it helps get you out of bed um so yeah, I think uh, also on that point, like I've had, yeah, people who've, yeah, I think abstained for like three or four weeks before a race. And I think like I also look at that and think, well, that's like that's some really important quality training that you're not hitting quite as, as good as you mm. could because you're missing out on the benefits of caffeine and training, which are huge. Mm. Like, well, mm. not huge, but yeah, they're, they're, they're definitely there. They're there. And, yes. yeah, four weeks out from an event, I'm, I, you know, like I'm trying to kick some real goals in training. And I want, yeah, I want every kind of, you know, that's when you're doing a lot of like stretching and, and massage and your diet's right. And you want to get every mm. single bit you can out of that training and get those adaptations. So I don't see why you would 
um, mm. yeah, to deny yourself the benefits of caffeine in that crucial training mm. um, just so you can have that little benefit on race day. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Um, and um, in what ways do you feel think you've kind of explained that this but in what ways do you feel caffeine benefits your performance so I guess what do you notice when you when you have the caffeine yeah I think when I have the right caffeine and the right amount of caffeine um yeah it's obviously yeah the ability for me to get my heart rate up is is great when I need to perform um but I think a lot of it comes down to like kind of a cognitive benefit as well like I know that when I take Nodos, for example, I take the Nodos Plus. Um, I'm not sure what the actual added ingredients are, but this, I think it, it just helps helps me think when I'm under incredible fatigue because obviously you can get a large amount of brain fog when you're, when you're going that deep, especially in something that's a little bit longer, like a time trial, where uh, you kind of sit redlining for quite a while and towards the back end, I've definitely experienced that I can, yeah, lose focus as w over what I'm doing and like actually the task at hand because I'm so tired. Um, so there's kind of that alertness. Um, it's equally as important for the pursuit, which is a, you know, a four and a half minute event that you kind of just need to be like on your, on your game from the word go. Um, apart from, yeah, like time to exhaustion and, and what, what feels like a bit more aerobic performance. I think that mm -hmm. the cognitive kind of side of things um, is definitely the best and then road racing it just helps my like reactions to to moves you know like you can hesitate for five seconds um, when you're fatigued and, and, and miss a really important split and then race is over so to be like quite alert and to be able to make that like yeah again that decision under incredible fatigue that you have to respond mm -hmm. to even though you're tired um, mm -hmm. can definitely save your road racing a lot like that but that's how I feel yeah yeah Definitely. Um, and do you find also, I guess, um, in relation to caffeine and, and sleep, because that can obviously be a big one for, for people, do you, I guess, have a window where you do sort of, okay, this is enough caffeine? Like, you know how people kind of say to me, they might say, okay, no, I, I can't have caffeine past lunchtime because then I won't sleep. Um do you have any of those types of rules for yourself where you, you find that it impacts on your sleep? Yeah, I, I would say that I don't have a caffeine limit. I just have a time limit. Um, yeah, yeah. I usually I usually square it off at three o'clock. But even I think lately I've been, you know, hitting one or two and kind of considering um, considering not having it. I mean, mind you, I've just talked about how I had caffeine at four p.m. just before. Um, so it's different around training. But it, it, like, if I get up and do you know, like a, a four to five hour ride, I have a low coffee beforehand. I don't have any afterwards because, yeah, I feel like, I, yeah, it's not worth, um, yeah, it's not worth interrupting my sleep. It's also great to have like an afternoon nap. Um, yeah. And, yeah, when I'm having the downtime, I actually want to be able to rest. Mind you, um, I say that, and the other day I experimented and I had like coffee, training session, lunch, nap, um, woke up, went to the spa, came back it was 5 p.m i was like you know i really feel like a coffee now had it and i was pinging it dinner like i was great had perfect chat i had so much energy i felt amazing and i didn't sleep until like 11 30 12 o'clock mm. at night and i was yeah. like this just confirms um what i thought i don't have caffeine at 5 p.m 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I do the same as I've done the same as you too, and I still do it every now and then, you know. Um, especially if you've got like I don't know work that you're dreading to get through or research or data analysis Alan and I I know you don't drink coffee but you have caffeine and I've seen you drink caffeine mm. at crazy o'clock too and yeah and then in the, the mm. same like when I'm trying to sleep I'm just like oh <laughs> can't shut my eyes to awake yeah, to awake. I don't have that problem I can pretty much sleep whenever but it sounds oh. like for you Al it's sort of like you know, you can either be the good dinner guest or you can get a good night's sleep and you've got to pick your, pick your days. I'm always the good dinner guest, Alan. It just depends. <laughs> I, I think I don't have a great relationship with sleep either, so I have to really will myself to go to bed. Um, I, yeah, love, okay. I love a good distraction and I feel like it just took away that. Uh, I, was just, I was way too humming. Mm. Yep. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, well, we might go to our bonus round to finish off now, which is where we get to find out a little bit more about you outside of uh, cycling and coffee and caffeine and no dose. Um, so the first question we've got is, is there anything on your bucket list that you're yet to do? Uh, yeah, I really want to travel to Antarctica. Um, right. And I think most people are yet to do that. I don't know if, if we're in in my future life that will become an easier feat. I know you can kind of do it on a boat. I think you leave in yeah. uh, Argentina or something like that. But that would be great because then I'd be able to tick off every continent. And yeah. I'd be like, yeah, that, that's a bucket list. Yeah, fair enough. And is there anything particularly you want to do when you're there or is it just a step foot there and, you know, yep, I've been here? Well, I mean, yeah, like I also don't go to the snow. Often. I think I've been to the snow like three times in my life. So that yeah. would be fun. Um, but no, it's much more for that uh, just to say I'd been there. Yeah, fair enough. So it's not a fascination with penguins or anything. <laughs> Polar bears. <laughs> oh, they're, they're, they're the North Pole. Oh, yeah, they're so, North Pole, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, obviously, you're, you're over in, um, in Japan at the moment. Um, you, you're not staying in Tokyo itself. Um, do you get to go there once your event's done? Like I know like in Sapporo, like the marathon guys and the race walkers then went back to Tokyo for the last couple of nights of the Games. Do you get to do something similar? Uh, yeah, we go back to... Uh, basically like a hotel that's very close to the village because obviously we've chosen to stay here um, our allocation of beds has gone to obviously the, the team that's in the village mm. um, but then a lot of the support staff um, physios, massage, whatnot, um, stay in this I, I forget the name of the, uh, the hotel but so we'll have the opportunity to enter the village uh, because we're staying quite close but we won't be obviously sleeping in the village yeah. Cool. All right. So my question then is, is there anyone that you're dying to meet in terms of, you know, within the Australian team that you haven't met before or um, someone you're dying to catch up with you haven't seen for a long time? Um, no, there's no one I'm dying to meet that I haven't met. I don't think I've got any, like, superstar crushes. Um, but there are a few people that I'd love to see. I, I grew up with um, a guy in Nullaboy that... I, I actually got to know when I was in Rio, his name's Tom O'Neill Thorne, he's part of the basketball team. Um, turns out we, we both lived on the same street when we were babies. Um, <laughs> and we have this great photo of us, you know, three and three and four years old on bikes um, that none of us can remember at all. So we both, yeah, grew up in this really, really small town in Northern Territory called Nullamboy um, and then reconnected at the Rio game. So I'd love to catch up with him properly yeah, wow. uh, if I could. Yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a big... Um, I'm a fanboy of his. And then our co-captain, Danny Totoro, is um, 
an absolute legend and lives quite close to me in Melbourne. So I haven't seen her in a in a fair old while. So I'd love to uh, love to have a good chin wag with her. She's great. Yeah, awesome. All right. Um, is there another sport that you've always wanted to try but you've never really had the chance? Hmm. Uh, I think about this a lot. Um, and any any sport I fancy, I uh, just wouldn't be phys- physiologically suited to. Um, <laughs> but I look at like sometimes I look at like kind of middle distance running and think, oh, that would be fun. But at the same time, I did cross country when I was young, so I'm not missing out on anything there. Like I know how disgusting running is. Um, hey, be... take that back. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think I've, I think I, I tried so many sports when I was young. Like I did everything, you know, rugby, mm. gymnastics, swimming athletics um and i finally settled on cycling because it's the best sport there is so i think i probably can't probably can't honestly choose another but you know like i always think oh how would i how would i go as a actually rowing is one of them like i'm not suited to it i'm not tall enough but i think yeah i've got the i've got the the drive for rowing possibly yeah you're picking all those events that are just like you know three to seven minutes of pain yeah. Like you've got your individual pursuit and then you pick middle distance running and rowing. It's all, oh, well, all up yeah. the same alley. Yeah, but like I look at football and I'm thinking, oh, yeah, I could do that, but I just don't have that much skill. I know it's practised and I'd obviously you have the discipline, but I also I'm not six foot tall. I'm like 170 centimetres and I'm 16 kilos. So yeah. I think any physical contact sport would just not be, not be a good idea. Yeah, fair enough. Um, do you live by any piece of advice or motto? Oh, yeah, I have two, I think, that, like, kind of balance in my mind. Um, the first one would be everything in moderation, including moderation itself. Um, <laughs> and so, that yeah, that's that's one I've adopted probably in the last 18 months, and <laughs> I find that actually pretty useful. Um, yeah. That gives me free reign to do everything and enjoy life. And um, the other one is far less um, zen. It's... Uh, easier to seek forgiveness than ask permission. Yeah. Yeah, nice. I like it. All right, and our final question, which is probably very relevant where you're staying in the hotel at the moment, what's one thing that you always have to take with you when you're travelling for events? Um, It's very relevant to this podcast because I always take my own coffee. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, it's it's kind of useless here, as I I said, but I've I've got a grinder and you know, some paper filters and um, I think I've got like a kilo of coffee. But that's going to be great for the hotel quarantine on the other side of this trip. Yeah, mm. yeah. But yeah, I, I think if, that's one thing you can't guarantee um, when you're traveling around the world is a good coffee. Um, and it's something that I, yeah, I appreciate, you know, more than, more than most people. I can't really do instant. So I have a little small little drawstring bag and I just stuff everything into that and always take it with me. And I get criticized but it's out of jealousy, not anything else. Exactly. Yeah, fair enough. Well, it's funny you say that because our very last athlete episode with Dave Bryant, who's over you know, in uh, Tokyo in the village as we speak um, for the triathlon, he had to take his French press with him everywhere. And um, we had Ellie Pashley, who you know, was in Sapporo for the marathon a few weeks ago, uh, and she had to take her AeroPress with her everywhere as well. So it's, it's definitely an emerging theme, I think. Mm. Yeah, I think yeah. Anyone who I mean, like, it's just you just you travel everywhere. You break your routine completely. It's nice to have those like small things so you can keep consistent. Exactly right. Awesome. 
All right, well, thanks so much for your time, Al. Uh, I know you've been uh, giving up watching the opening ceremony to uh, come and chat to us about coffee and caffeine. Um, but, but thanks so much for that, and obviously best of luck. By the time that people listen to this year, events i think all of them pretty much will be um be over by mm. then but um yeah so good luck with them and uh some sort of weird time thing you know congratulations for them even though they haven't happened yet but they will by the time people are listening to them so um yeah <laughs> we'll be luck. sending and thinking thinking of you and sending you good vibes and and cheering and watching you uh thanks very much guys i mean the opening ceremony happens yeah once every four years but i think this is a once in a lifetime opportunity so you know, which, which one's which one's rarer well said well said that's going to be the intro for the podcast I think. yeah <laughs> thanks for that yeah, thanks Cheers. no worries guys thanks for having me All right, thank you to alistair for his insights around all things caffeine always great to chat to him always enjoyed working with him, although it was quite a long time ago now when, when I worked with him almost a decade ago, but um, always good just to have a good chat with him and, and see what's going on as well as the the nuts and bolts of the actual performance side of things. I'm sure you're the same when you've worked with him over the years, Steph. Yeah, like you said, he's just, um, he's really thorough and I mean, yeah, obviously elite athletes are, but yeah, he was always and it is always fantastic to to work with. You know, you gave him information, and he he really wanted to know more, and and yeah, how to implement it. So, um, yeah, real pleasure to to work with, and um, good fun, someone to have a laugh with. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, we've finished our two episodes around uh, caffeine habituation, I guess, if you like, or caffeine withdrawal. Do you want to sort of summarise where we've come to at the end of? asking this question, do I need to stop drinking coffee to get the benefits of caffeine? <laughs> well, the good news now, I'll just take it like, just tune into what I want to listen to here, <laughs> <laughs> is probably, possibly, we don't need to withdraw <laughs> from caffeine, at least if we're going to do it quite short term, so within a short period of time. So if, if we're looking at withdrawing caffeine and it's, you know, only going to be maybe a couple of days or a few days or so, um, it's thought that um, the withdrawal effect of doing that um, and then the benefits that we get from caffeine, they kind of like potentially just even each other out. Um, but there's still, I think, further research that, uh, you know, Chris was talking that needs to be done in terms of there may be some possible benefits if we withdraw from it in the longer term and some research has suggested that and that's probably why there's um you know some saying yes there's benefits and no um there's not benefits because i know when you look it up you kind of can get conflicting responses um and i think just talking to alistair uh as we were commenting on before you know, I think we also always need to think about um, whatever we do implement in terms of nutrition and, and for the sport, uh, how does that also affect uh, other things as well, um, you know, quality of life as an example. But for Alastair, he was talking about, uh, you know, to he looks forward to it in the mornings. It helps get him out of bed, I guess, and gets him to his training. Uh, and, you know, when he rocks up to training, he had some mates that did do that withdrawal period. And um, he, at least, I think, was noticing that perhaps the training quality um, wasn't 
um, potentially where it could be. Um, so for him, he'd rather not go without the, the coffee um, because he really enjoys it. He finds it, it does help him get through particularly his tough sessions um, and then uh, he definitely, you know, will use it in his events. Uh, and so, yeah, as we mentioned, you know, he loves caffeine and, and coffee on a day-to-day basis. Um, but then when he's getting into his racing or his events, uh, he's a little bit more strategic um, or a lot more strategic with, you know, how much he's having and in what form he's having that. And he learned himself that if he it's not so good at following that protocol and he relaxes off of it and he loses count of how much he's had. Um, unfortunately, that did seem to affect him in a, in a race. So, um, yeah, you really want to go in with a strategy in terms of the amount of caffeine. And so I think in terms of just putting that in perspective for ultra endurance where athletes can be, you know, out for maybe anywhere from eight hours plus, The question is, you know, should I take it um, in a staggering, you know, throughout the event uh, or should I take it as bolus? How much should I take? Um, And it's, I think, a hard one to answer, obviously, to be able to research, though, you know, um, events that are of that length. Um, But basically it's, you know, where you're the kind of the, the, the time that it may tend to peak for people can vary. Um, so it might take 30 minutes to an hour um, for the caffeine to, to peak in their system. And then it potentially may take about four hours for that to dial down. Um, so, you know, and then in terms of the amount, potentially anywhere from three to six milligrams per kilo of body mass. But then maybe in the ultra endurance events, depending on the length, that actually may be more. Um, because they're out there for so long. Um, And so I know generally for myself, Alan, the athletes I work with, um, we tend to do that bit of a staggering approach and we also think about, okay, well, where's the fatiguing session coming up for you or where's that hill that you're just dreading Uh, and we'll try and, um, you know, time it in there. And then we also think about, okay, well, we're already really excited at the start of this race. We're already got adrenaline pumping. So maybe we don't want to have too much, too much there. Um, And then obviously, if you're in an ultra, the other thing you need to think about is if it's going overnight, um, yeah, using it strategically at those times. And then if they are doing a self-sufficient event or whatever that event be, and they need a sleep, then obviously thinking about where we're placing it um, in regards to to that. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Good summary. Mm. All right, and just to close the loop, I guess, on Alistair's story, obviously we talked about sort of his past achievements um, and we interviewed him sort of in the village just as the Paralympics were starting. But as we mentioned at the start, he, he then went on to, to win a silver medal in the individual pursuit on the track uh, and then a bronze medal in the time trial, the individual time trial on the road. Um, but do you want to tell us a little bit about the road race itself? Yeah, I mean, um, he had a hard race, didn't he? Um, so, yeah, um, unfortunately, uh, he had uh, an experience where um, a cyclist in front of him, you know, I think they caught, was it that they caught the wheel um, in the... Um, no, they just crashed, I think, at 
I mean, they were they were racing on the the Fuji motor racing circuit is where the the course was, mm. uh, and it was pouring with rain. And mm. so on the, some of those motor racing circuits, when it rains, it brings up some of the oil on the track from the cars, mm. uh, and I think it made it extra slippery. So yeah, unfortunately, one of the riders in front of him went down. Yep. I think he managed to pretty much avoid it. He looked like he was out of the yeah. woods, and then yeah. I think his back wheel just slipped out from underneath slipped. him just as he was going past. Yeah, yeah, and then he got up, and then bloody hell, not long after, slipped again. Um, mm. But bloody hell, um, all to him, got up, and, you know, like they'd gone quite a bit ahead, and he caught up. Like he, he yeah, so mentally tough, that guy. Um, but, I mean, it was a really emotional um experience an event for him he unfortunately lost um a really close friend um of his um will only a couple months um out from from this so um yeah he he did this race for for will and um i i think we just want to do a shout out there as well in terms of um yeah, if we can all just check in on our mates um, and um, check if they're okay. Uh, it's a really hard time now with COVID. Um, and yeah, we, we don't know what, what's going on for people. And I think the thing for me as well is often uh, it can be people that might actually look really happy and have a laugh but actually deep down there might be something going on so even if they look happy just ask them how are you going um want to want to grab a coffee um or virtual coffee wherever we are in the world um and yeah always just check in if you can yeah well said absolutely okay so let's finish off this episode and just a reminder if you have a specific question that you'd like answered on the podcast you can contact us via social media at the long munch on facebook twitter or instagram uh, as several people have and, and as we've mentioned a few times we've got a couple of episodes in the works and just waiting for people sort of post tokyo to to get them organized as, as guests on the podcast so we've got a couple of those hopefully coming up in the next few weeks which will be really exciting to answer some of those questions that that people have been asking but um, next week, Steph, you mentioned at the start that you've got a nice little rant lined up, something that really grinds your gears. Um, and it's because it's a topic that you're very familiar with. And in fact, you're going to be our guest because it's an area of expertise for you. Um, our topic for next week, which is episode 21A, will be what are FODMAPs and what's that got to do with exercise? So you might recall back in episode 7a i think it was around um, why do i get gut problems during exercise you mentioned fodmaps briefly there uh, but we didn't really delve into much detail about it uh, and i think a lot of people have questions about it um, some people got no idea what it is some people have heard of it um, some people have heard of it but have no idea what what it has to do with with sport and exercise so um, you've, you did a, a study on this specifically, Steph, uh, as part of your honours, pre-PhD. Um, so you can tell us all about it. And you did a lot of work with um, people even outside of sports nutrition, uh, non-athletes as well in the in sort of the earlier stages of your career, specialising around FODMAPs as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited, excited to talk about that one because I think there is a lot of confusion out there um, and it is important to... Um, to understand it and um, and you know as we always say with with uh, 
with doing things or following something in nutrition or you taking out things, you really want to make sure that that's something that you actually need to do and what we're getting to replace those things. So anyway, I'm not going to go off in a rant now. Um, we'll leave that for next week. Let's, let's finish the episode before the blood boils over. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, looking forward to, to having that chat. Um, but otherwise, we will probably leave our listeners in, in peace. Um, but, yeah, please ask us any questions that you have. Um, send us through uh, our social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at The Long Munch. And don't forget you can listen to us and or subscribe, I believe, Alan, um, to listening mm-hmm. to us. I mean, yep. what better thing do you want to do? Really? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Get, get each episode del- delivered fresh to your, to your feed on a mm-hmm. Thursday morning as you, you wake up or a mm-hmm. Wednesday night if you're in the Northern Hemisphere or, you know, in Europe or North America, someone like that. But, yeah, definitely um, please do that. Uh, and also feel free to, to put in a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or any of the other platforms that allow ratings or reviews. It's always great to get feedback from people and uh, hear what they think. Awesome. And we'll see you next time. We'll do. See you then. <laughs>